0: Hogan. Rod Austin, Texas, Sports, the
1: Talking Texas football, the Super Bowl. Also a little music in there in that first hour. We'll get to some bullish or BS for the end of this hour. Before we get to our headlines and start our second hour here on this Thursday morning, Ryan, I want to... How good, how good of a wide receiver was Kyle Shanahan back in the day? Because he was playing behind the three, maybe mm-hmm. the three, the best trio of wide receivers in Texas football history. Maybe not, maybe he was. Yeah, pretty know, good. One. With Roy Williams and mm-hmm. Sloan mm-hmm. Thomas and Beatle. Johnson. How good was uh, Kyle as a player? People forget he had 14 catches. He was on special teams. Mm -hmm. He had transferred in from Duke and became one of your really good friends. But uh, he was a pretty good player.
2: He was. He was a technician at the wide receiver spot. I mean, he wasn't explosive or was a guy that can beat you deep with foot speed. He was gonna beat you with footwork. I mean, he would he would obsess about footwork. I mean, the drills that he would do after practice and before practice for footwork and cone drills, it was. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, and he was really good at it. Honestly, I don't know if anybody on our team was as good in those drills, those types of drills, as Shannon was, those footwork cone drills. And it was all about getting out of his break on time, being efficient um, with his footwork as a wide receiver. And that's where he gets you. And Shannon had a six route that was deadly. I mean, everybody knew about Shannon Six. Uh, Shannon <laughs> Six, right, he would get you and do you dirty because essentially Six Rod is just a deep end cut. Uh, as a matter of fact, strangely enough, this is crazy because uh, I was doing some research here. Strangely enough you asked me about that question about, you know, hey, for, for a guy like Shannon, he's a wide receiver, was he, what was he really good at? Um, the dig route is actually one of the more popular routes for the 49ers too. Uh, it's like they, they run it like 18, 18 to 19% of the time, they're running dig routes. He, his specialty as a receiver was the dig, was that six route. It was that, that deep end cut there. Uh, and that's what they call it a, a dig sometimes as well. And he, was, he, he, set the, he set the DB up really well. The thing you didn't want to do against Chanel was play off coverage because he'd make you look bad. Because he'd throw in so many different moves and he understood the defender's uh, progression, what we were looking at. Because he's a guy that's from a next level of, of football. So he would understand the progression of the defender, and then he'd use that against you. He'd use your, your, your keys and your clues as a defender. he used that against you. So you'd get a lot of head fakes. You'd get uh, a lot of um, – if he was going to cut inside, he'd probably give you an inside-outside and in, a cut inside. He's, you're going to get multiple moves. Never fall for the first one with Shannon. <laughs> Never, Never fall for the first. You fall for that first move, you're going to look bad out there. So that's kind of what you had to have patience against him. Um, because, like I said, he'll give you a lot of moves, especially with the six route, so you won't have inside leverage on that guy because if he gets that six right on you, it's going to make you look bad. And I'd say the the thing that I always made sure, I wanted to play bump and run on him because then I had an advantage. That's what, if we get getting a foot race, I'm good with that. But if you play off coverage on Shano, he was going to make you look bad. He yeah. did that a lot of people in practice, too. So well, that, that's my little mini scouting report no, on Shano. I think Shano. it's great because I yeah.
1: think people forget that he was a player at Texas. I mean, he mm-hmm. was, but they he was a good player.
2: He was a good player. He was just
1: playing behind three NFL guys, yeah. <laughs> essentially. And, um, and, uh, but you, you're a football theorist, right? You, you love to deep dive. Was that? Could you tell me, this is a guy who grew up in, you know, on a football field watching his father yep. win Super Bowls. Was he? Could you talk to him like a football coach even then?
2: Oh yeah, a lot of my, um, a lot of my football theory stuff that I've shared with you guys and I've developed over the years really came from the genesis of it was seeds that were planted by my boy Shano. Yeah, Uh, one of the things he really did he did for me to help me as a player, uh, we sat down and talked ball so much. One day he basically started talking to me about canceling routes and it's, it's a simple thing you thought I would have thought about on my, on my own but I didn't about canceling routes because there's a route tree he was big on the route tree all right? and, and the route tree is expanded now the route tree is it's way more complicated and expansive than it used to be it used to be like nine damn routes on the route tree now there's probably like 20 something routes on the route tree because these offenses have gotten so sophisticated um, and he would basically break down listen if the if the wide receiver is, is getting to the seven yard mark all right he says seven yards then you've already eliminated what your slant route, hitch route, you've eliminated your smoke route. You get past ten yards, then you've eliminated some other routes, right? You eliminate the deep out cut. You've eliminated uh, that that curl right around there, right around twelve yards. So you pass up twelve yards. You're eliminating the curl route. You eliminate that out cut. Uh, you can eliminate that dig at about fifteen, and then that's what was, as a, as a defender in your head. Once you start canceling out those routes based on the depth of the wide receiver then you'll know what, what's coming next. Yeah. Because you'll only have a certain number of routes to defend. Now, that's a lot to think about as a player. But as you get older and you become a, a, you know, a more experienced player, you can, the game will slow down for you. And then you can start canceling out routes, but it takes patience. Right? You're going
1: to be takes, good at it right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be good
2: at the beginning. It's going to take a little patience while you figure out, all right, you know what, he's at seven yards, so I don't have to worry about these routes. And then you actually get – the whole point of it was that I can get a jump on the deep routes. I'll know when to turn and go because he's going to – once he gets to 15 yards, they're only going to run a deep comeback, a post route, a nine route, you know, a post corner. At what, at what depth for the wide receiver is he basically eliminated every route except the deep cut? And yep. it, it's about 15. Yeah. At, about, at about 14 yards, probably about 14 or 13 to 14, you can turn. Turn and go. It's going to be a deep route. And there's not a lot of quarterbacks in college that can throw a deep comeback. They just don't. Quinn, Quinn Ewers can do it. That's why he hate playing against Quinn. Because Quinn can make all those throws. Yeah. Like I can't see. I, I eliminate. I eliminate the routes based on the depth of the wide receiver. But then I gotta look at the film with the quarterback. And some quarterbacks can make those. Hell, Sark had uh, Quinn throwing eighteen yard curl routes. Yep. You remember this? And it, I kept bringing this up last year, guys. That completely flies in the face of what I was just talking about canceling routes. You know, I'm gonna look real. Because I'm gonna turn and run. Yeah. I think Sark was thinking about that. We why know I think, he's a Shannon guy? guy. wide open? Well, yeah. <laughs> he canceled routes. I, can, I canceled all the routes. I well, thought there's no way you're going to run an 18-yard curl. E, Why the hell would I think you're going to run an 18-yard curl when nobody does that? I think Sark was doing that to try to counter the route cancellations by DBs. I think now everybody does that. And I think that's it's what he was taught. trying to do. Yeah, it's taught. And I think that's what he was trying to do, that, oh, no, okay, you think at 18 yards we're going to run a deep post. But actually we're going to curl it up right here.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and again, that's, you know, for, for fans that ask, well, why – why does every coach want a quarterback with a big arm, right, that can make all the throws? Because, you know, if you have a quarterback that's got a pop gun, you can already eliminate a lot of routes that that kid can't throw. So we don't have to defend those, Mm -mm. right? Exactly. If we're on this hash, I don't even have to defend this part of me. That's what you're looking to spread the field and make Mm -hmm. make them defend every blade of of grass. All right, let's get to the uh, top headlines. This is really good stuff with Rod on uh, the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers trying to win a Super Bowl. His first as a head coach. Let's get to the other top stories of our Thursday morning. Top Gun Rentals, a lot of equipment, bring you the top stories. And yeah, National Signing Day uh, yesterday, much like any other day on the 40 Acres. No new signings for the Longhorns, as expected. But Coach Sark uh, did hold a lengthy Signing Day news conference, provided an overview of uh, the rising program and what they're up to and where they're headed. He highlighted again the 22 high school recruits, the program added, and the eight transfer portals that are uh, already on campus. Um, Part of that acquisition class was ranked sixth nationally by the 24-7 Sports Composite. Uh, on the topic of recruiting, Coach Sark did address the program's ever-evolving recruiting department where longtime staffer Brandon Harris has been promoted to the role of the team's general manager. Uh, John Michael Jones, now the director of player personnel. Taylor Sarles, uh, the director of recruiting. Kendall Perry, director of recruiting operations now. Coach Sark also spoke for the first time about the hiring of his two new defensive assistant coaches. Johnny Nansen, uh, who's going to be coaching the linebackers, also has the title of co-defensive coordinator. He came in from the Arizona Wildcats. Kenny Baker is now in charge of the defensive lineman coming in from the Miami Dolphins. Sark also applauded the uh, quarterback, Quinn yours for his decision to return to school and reaffirm that the 22-game starter now remains above Arch Manning on the depth chart as uh, the whole program, including himself, begin the mission of building on last season's conference championship and trip to to the college football playoff.
3: Yeah, no, I I think it was big for Quinn. Um, You know, I, I think pretty easy to see from the naked eye the development that Quinn made from year one to year two. Uh, I don't think that Quinn was was a finished product yet, um, and I think there's there's plenty of room for, for growth and improvement in in development in his game going into year three, and I think naturally, you, you
1: know. All right, there's uh, Sarkon Quinn, yours. Texas' is spring practice, by the way, will open March 19th. The spring game is April the 20th. Elsewhere in college football, following his surprise retirement back in January, Nick Saban, uh, not surprisingly, has found a new gig. The seven-time national championship winning head coach is going to join ESPN and College Game Day as an analyst, uh, according to a uh, uh, release yesterday by the network. Saban's also going to make appearances on other ESPN programming, including the NFL Draft and SEC Media Days. Cowboys in search of a new defensive coordinator, and they're casting a wide, a wide net here. Word late yesterday that the, J- the New York Jets Mark Juan Manuel is scheduled to visit and interview for the job today for the Cowboys. They're looking to replace Dan Quinn. Monday, the team interviewed former Commanders and Panthers head coach Ron Rivera, as well as current Cowboys defensive line coach Aiden Durd. The team also has met with former Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, former Jets head coach Rex Ryan. NBA League's trade deadline set for this afternoon. Many expecting possibly some moves, maybe even some big ones, before the 2 o'clock trade deadline today. One score from last night, Spurs lost in Miami, 116-104.
2: All right, we'll get to some uh, Super Bowl breakdown here uh, in a second. We go to Raj round the day. Um, I did some more research about the, uh, the Wall Street Journal article that you brought up yesterday. That I thought was that, that was really interesting. I hadn't read it. Um, and uh, I got I got some nice little uh, nuggets about the, the, those condensed and compressed sets uh, from my boy Shano that we'll get into. That It's going to play a huge role in this game only because – Nobody, and we'll get into this more, blitzes their DBs more than Kansas City. Oh, yeah, they Spagnolo bring them Nolan everywhere. Loves, oh, he brings them everywhere. Cornerbacks, safety, nobody blitzes. And nobody likes to play those sub-packages, you know, five DBs, six DBs more, and then blitz those guys. It, the, the way Shannon structures his offense, not the architecture of it, he dictates personnel more so than any other offense in the NFL. With this 21 personnel, 22 personnel, that's two backs, one tight end, two backs, uh, two tight ends. And he does that really well, forcing you to defend his offenses with base. And what I mean by base is just four defensive backs, usually three or four linebackers. That's called that your base defense. And most teams in the NFL, they're not comfortable in base because the new base in the NFL is nickel. It's five DBs on the field. But when Shano when, uh, pre- intru- introduces that power set with two backs, one tight end, or two backs, two tight ends, you almost have to respect it by going base personnel, and that's when he, tries, he takes advantage of you. Uh,
1: with that in mind, it is uh, just at 7.15 on this Thursday morning. Let's get Rod's first rant of a Thursday.
2: And now this, let's talk about Shannon's offense, and like I just talked about how the architecture of it makes it difficult to defend. So not only do you have the, the 49ers running 21 and 22 personnel, two backs close to 40% of the time. A third of the time they're in 21 personnel, about 11% of the time they're in 22 personnel. That's
1: use check usually, right?
2: Yes, exactly. That's use check, who is, we know, he's not a traditional fullback anyways. He's a guy that can put in the slot. got a guy that can move around. And then it makes it interesting to get, How about this? I got this little stat, and it shows you just how diverse that offense can be. They run the most condensed sets in the league. So nobody runs more condensed, compressed sets. And uh, he talked about this yesterday. The Wall Street Journal did an article about it. Now, here are my notes from it. So basically, the 49ers offense average stretches about 19.9 yards from end to end like from the last man uh, on the line of scrimmage from one side of formation uh, to the last man on, uh, up at the line on the other side of formation, 19.9 yards. So basically just 20 yards of width of a formation, which is the tightest alignment in the NFL. But they also run a ton of empty formation out of all that. That's how they stress you. Right? So not only are you talking about a team that runs more condensed sets than anybody in the league, but they all, nobody runs more empty on third and long than the 49ers. So you must be ready to defend. Not only, so you put your base defense out there, with your four DBs, and most of, your, most of your linebackers out there in coverage. What Shadow's going to force you to do with these compressed and condensed sets combined with the empty formations, the compressed and condensed sets force you to play with a heavier, a heavier box. Right, You are going to probably play or defend a compressed and condensed set with a single high safety because of the – power sets that channel runs he talked about the two backs he runs and the two tight end sets that he likes to run because of that and because of the like i said the width of the formation everything is compacted and compressed you're probably going to put an extra safety down the back that's, and safety in the box that's usually what people do to counter uh those compressed and condensed sets and when you do that it makes you predictable because you don't have that single high safety and a lot of teams they're going to play outside leverage because why would you play inside leverage? I mean, there's a tight formation. You'll get inside that guy, you'll give him so much grass on the outside. So you can almost guarantee outside leverage by the corners. You can guarantee base defense because they're going to be trying to line up to defend your power sets. And you can guarantee it, but highly likelihood of there being a single high safety. That's why he does. And he said that years ago. People asked him why you keep using a fullback. He said, because they've they got to respect my fullback they got to put more linebackers out there to respect my fullback and the compressed and condensed sets. And this is why Sark likes them too. And Sark has said this on the record. I've heard him say it. He wants to be able to put DBs as forced run defenders. They don't want to be forced run defenders, DBs. Trust me. I I was one. We don't want to be forced run defenders. Some of the guys do, but most of us do not. We want to cover. But you're going to force a guy who wants to cover to play the run. And you're going to force guys who want to play the run, like linebackers, to cover. It's just that simple. <laughs> That's why uh, third we go third and long. We'll go empty formation because I want those linebackers to have to cover Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Justek, and Kittle in the slot. And if we go with those condensed, and compressed sets early on, uh, I'm going to force those DBs to have to come up and run support. And this is another little factor about the compressed and condensed sets, and it kind of goes to Shano dictating the terms. Spread offenses are very predictable. They really are. 79% of spread formations. So this is not the condensed set. These are spreading things out as much as you can. 79% of spread formations result in the pass. I mean, 80%. Right? These are NFL-wide numbers, by the way, for this season. 6.7 yards per attempt out of spread formations. But condensed formations, you know what the pass rate is? 49%. You're split right down the middle. They have no idea what's coming. It's a run or a pass. And Shannon wants to be balanced. Uh, Also, you're going to look at yards per attempt, yards per pass attempt, out of those uh, condensed sets, 7.7 yards per pass attempt. That's almost a a yard more than you're averaging per pass attempt out of those uh, spread formations. So, honestly, that's, this is a lot of why he does it. Play action, I think he uses play action. For, 44% of the NFL uses play action out of condensed sets. When they have spread sets, the NFL's play action rate drops to 7% out of straight spread. So, the NFL, uh, I think, is becoming really predictable when it comes to the way they spread things out. The condensed and compressed sets allow you to be more unpredictable. And it allows you to dictate what the defense will do to defend that set.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and these are things you can watch when you're watching the Super Bowl on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, just see how close together the, the, the 49ers are, but look at how they're aligned, and then they'll shift, right? Because with that formation, when you got Juszczyk and Kittle yep. and Samuel and Ayuk, Debo and, uh, and Brandon Ayuk, no, you you can shift to a run out of that. You can shift to a pass. You can, and, and that's. But they 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 do a lot of motions yes, to do. get to where they want where they want you to be. But at the same time, they're between the hash marks to the to the point. I mean, that, so they're very condensed. Uh, you don't see a lot of teams doing that uh, for sure. And uh, it's a Kyle Shanahan uh, piece of brilliance right there. And again, I, I I encourage folks to think about what Rod's saying. Even even if it kind of then you watch it on Sunday and it'll make sense. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It'll, you'll be able to see it. Yep. Uh, in real in real time. Because it just Because what do you? If you're a defender, what do you want the offense to be? Predictable. What what bothers you as a defender? Unpredictability. Unpredictability. Yeah, I, like, I don't know what's coming. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what. To, and so and they disguise that very well, and that's they why do. they run the ball so well. Because yep. then all of a sudden it's a toss. Sweet, toss to McCaffrey. That's exactly right. And you know Kittle's a plus blocker. Use checks a plus blocker. Debo Samuel's one of the best mm. blocking receivers in the league. So you, you they're spread out, but you're thinking, oh man, this is a this is a pass. And then here comes you know McCaffrey in motion gets behind and they, they do a toss sweep and exactly. now they got a now, now they got you yep. right and 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 Trent Williams the big left tackle is oh. getting out in front of all of it and that guy's devastating so it's this is disgusting. why Christian McCaffrey. You know, set records for touchdowns, and they, they just make it unpredictable. They're running or passing, and they disguise it. They don't have to change personnel to do it, mm-hmm. and that's why they have the, the top offense in pro football.
2: And the truth is, this is a bad matchup-wise for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like I said, they want to be – love, Spagnola loves to be in sub-packages, nickel and dime, and Shannon's going to try to force him to play him out of base defense. But, guys, we are not getting enough props. I include myself in this to that Chiefs defense. I know we've been giving them some love lately, but how about this little stat? They've allowed just 15.6 points per game through 20 games. Yeah, now they're elite. 15 points per game in the NFL? I mean, what are we, this is Big Ten football y'all defending? That's amazing uh, considering the elite competition they've been playing lately too. That is something to keep in mind because I I, I think Spagnola, if you have those condensed compressed sets, I think, guys, he's still going to send them DBs. And I think it may make their job easier because it's a condensed set. Usually you're sending a DB from the nickel spot, He's got to travel another five yards to try to get to the quarterback because that guy's in the slot, and he's spread out a little bit more. From a condensed set, though, I wonder if they'll make the, it'll make those, those DB blitzes more effective for Spacks. Because yeah, he'll be closer to the quarterback, indeed.
1: Yeah, and run blitz him.
2: And, and uh, run blitz him.
1: Fascinating chess match. I mean, obviously you have uh, two of the great offensive minds in the game, and Shanahan and, uh, and Andy Reid, but the battle will likely be Steve Wilkes and, uh, and Steve Spagnolo trying to slow them down. That might be advantage. Uh, that's, a, that's advantage Chiefs, Chiefs, man. Chiefs, I agree with you. Because Chiefs
2: got a better OC and a better DC. They yeah, do. Yeah. Shanahan's a great OC. Um, so let's just say he and Andy Reid cancel each other out. Spags is so much better than Steve Wilkes, though. Yeah. It's not even close.
1: It's great stuff with Rod's rant on this Thursday morning. Watch for that. in Super Bowl 58, which is uh, fast approaching, uh, really, really good stuff. This one says, I run power at my oh. – Wife's heavy box. You can't say that on the text line. <laughs> Come on, man. The, Come on, man. Our man Chan on the text line says, him. Wall Street Journal, Rod. What? That's way too intellectually intense for 7.15 in the morning. Hey, blame
2: E for that. I didn't even know I that know. article existed. Uh, e says something about, and I was like, all right, let me go check it out. Got to
1: go read that. Yeah. Got to go read that. That's, that's, stuff. that's really, a, well, this is a fascinating matchup for a lot of reasons. Well, this, and,
2: the reason it's fascinating for Longwind fans, and I'll give you this, and I, I may do this tomorrow, um, all the different uh, conceptual elements that Sark's offense has in common with Shano, because the condensed, compressed sets is one of them. For sure. Sark loves condensed and compressed sets.
1: Yeah, and, and Sark, we'll have Eric coming up. He gave a shout-out to Kyle Shanahan. They did. We should play talked that. Talked about him. What a what a really good friend of his he is. We'll play that coming up for the uh, Lifetime Longhorn and good stuff from Rod Babers as usual. And if you were watching the AFC Championship game, which a lot of people did, uh, those those uh, DB Blitzes were giving oh. Lamar Jackson trouble big time. They, yeah, they were mean. giving him – he was he, he he was looking for him. Yep. And then the offensive line started looking for. Him, and that mm-hmm. led to a better pass rush in the down Yeah, And it was really really strategically done and they covered him really good behind it, which you could see Lamar Jackson has been taught okay when the blitz comes here throw they, to this. they yeah. were covering it.
2: Yeah. No and, and that would
1: ha- led to the the uh, Lamar Jackson that just looked confused.
2: I would say over the last 10 weeks of the regular season, Brock Purdy highest passer rating in the NFL under pressure, 103.5, highest passer rating when blitzed, at 142.1. He's playing really good That's now the when you put pressure on him.
1: Well, and I, did, I, I, I didn't get. I played this earlier this week. I will play a couple pieces of sound coming up. Sark uh, giving the shout out to Kyle Shanahan. Also, I want to give you. Uh uh, I let you hear something I played earlier this week that uh, is, is Kyle Shanahan talking about Brock Purdy and the whole game manager idea. Oh, I, think it's a really, I think it's really good. Cam is
2: talking about it more, too. He, know, he's all, a Super Bowl talking about
1: it. Yeah, but I, uh, you know, your guy Shano you know, kind of went back at those types. They're just calling him a game manager with some facts. We'll have that coming up. Plus, bullish your BS before the end of this hour. It's a busy, busy Thursday. We're glad you're with us on Hook'Em Up with Ian Rodby.
3: the Niners to the Super Bowl again is a dear friend, guy that uh, I have a ton of respect for in the profession, guy that I love sharing ideas with, and and to watch him do his thing is is awesome to see. And then also, Charles Amenehu, who who I know was injured for the Super Bowl, but what a huge play he made in that game before he got injured with the sack fumble. So, always cool to see Longhorns doing great things, and...
1: Steve Sarkeesian, right there, right yeah, talking like about that. his dear friend Kyle Shanahan, your dear friend as well, and the uh, I think a lot of Longhorn fans are, are rooting for the Shanahorns.
2: <laughs> yeah, I like that, the the Shanahorns. It's pretty cool. No, it is. It's good because um, you know when he followed Shanahan in Atlanta, um, not only did he become, become did he uh, form a relationship and a close bond with Shanahan after that. Cause I think they talked and uh, they were communicating about how to transition that Atlanta offense better to uh, Sark's system, um, and I, to do that, Sark wanted to used familiar, familiar concepts and familiar schemes that Shanahan used. So he really started adopting a lot of the, the Shanahan scheme after that and loved it. And so it really did not – he didn't really change uh, really a lot that, that season, that first season with Atlanta – and then after that, he started to kind of meld and started to kind of morph the two offenses together. So ever since then, and, Sh- and by the way, Sarkis has done this with a lot of offenses, so it's not just only the Shannon offense. Um, but he's now, his, I think a lot of the tent poles in the Steve Sarkisian offense are also Shanahan concepts, or at least some of Shanahan's favorite concepts.
1: It is interesting that, uh, and if you're a Texas fan, you have to like what you heard from Sark yesterday, where they are, where they're headed, but also that uh, you know if you have a head coach and he's an offensive guy, he and he's close friends with Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and these guys. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. If those are the guys you're borrowing concepts from and building your offense around and you're acquiring the talent and bringing in the players like they are, you've got to feel pretty good about where they're going. And with that in mind, can I play this from Sark? This mm-hmm. was the, uh, the piece of sound of a 45-minute press conference that most Longhorns heard and got fired up about. Here's Coach Sark on. Yes, it was fun to make a, make a trip to the college football playoff, but, but he and the program want a lot more.
3: We came here, I came here, like I said before, I I didn't come here just to be a head coach again. I I didn't come here to uh, say that I'm the head coach at the University of Texas. Like, I came here to win a championship, and then if I can get one, I want to get two. And I'm borderline obsessed with it at this point. Um, I know what it tasted like last year. I know how close we were, and I couldn't wait to get back, and and hopefully – that's what our team really starts to exude is this obsession with being the best.
1: There you go. I'm obsessed
2: with it. (laughs) Yeah, No, I I like the attitude. I really do. I think a lot of Longhorn fans, they want their head coach (laughs) to have that obsession about winning a championship because a lot of Longhorn fans have that obsession (laughs) about being a championship program.
1: And ahead of that cut, he said, you know, I, I am a believer that, that, you know, teams take on the personality of their coach Mm -hmm. uh, and, and really in, in, In all in all sports, and you know he wants that. That's his personality. He wants his team to feel that that um, the the bar is very very high. Complacency will not be accepted. We this group that starts out here in January into February now has done nothing. Last year's team that lost a lot of key players won a, a Big 12 championship and played in the semifinal, and we're you know, a play away from maybe playing for the championship, but that's all in the past. Mm-hmm. Now That doesn't matter. It's a great accomplishment, proud of that team, but this is a new team that's got a new DNA and a new group of leaders, and, um, but the bar doesn't change uh, whatsoever. Uh, moving forward. So uh, pretty good stuff right there with Coach Sark and uh, Longhorns in the Super Bowl. And uh, Sark getting his team ready. We'll have more with uh, Sark throughout the morning as he, he talked about every phase of his program yesterday. He really
2: did, man. He, went to, he got on the defensive end. I mean, we'll hear some of the specific cuts where he's talking about position groups, but he talked about the defense, DBs, and on the edges. And So, I, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I love Sark's media availability I do think he gives you a lot of information. He gives you a lot. Most coaches are unwilling to give you that much information. Sark gives you a lot of stuff. A and and somebody <laughs> somebody
1: texted us on this, and it's true. He said, "You know, I know who else gave a lot of info at his press conferences was was Saban. Saban would, oh, would, yeah, would answer questions. I, I mean, never thought Saban about that. was mm. pretty open at his press. I mean, he did it in a different different uh, personality than Sark does. But that's fair. He was pretty open. Uh, yeah. and kind of understood that. You know, Alabama football is a big deal.
2: People want to know and, information,
1: and and, yeah. the, and the investors, which the the team, the ticket buyers, and the fans are, they invest in the program. They want to know what's going on." And, you know, there's no reason to be cryptic about it, Tom Herman. Uh, you can actually just be open about what's going on yeah. and share what's happening uh, with a program that they care about. And I don't, I don't think there's... There's an, it's not all coach speak, and, and uh, you know, there's actual some, some meat on the bone there for sure. Speaking of that, Rod, in your rant, you were talking about this 49er matchup with the Chiefs and uh, Brock Purdy. I wanted you to hear this. I played it earlier in the week when you were getting your, uh, your dental procedure, but I do think it, it, it is – because I've heard you say these exact words. It almost reminded me when I heard it. That sounds like Rod. But listen to him when he was asked at, me, at Super Bowl opening night on Monday about Brock, Brock Purdy as a game manager. Mm and what it means to be a quarterback and why. I think this answer explains why pretty quickly Kyle Shanahan thought, you know what, Brock Purdy, even though he's our third-string quarterback, might be our best quarterback, uh, better than Trey Lance, better than Jimmy Garoppolo, and why he is flourishing in this system and has a chance to maybe win a Super Bowl for Kyle Shanahan, something he has not done yet. Here's uh, Shanahan on the, uh, the idea of a game manager.
0: Like, So I don't get how being a system quarterback and a game manager is a negative. Like the job of a quarterback is to manage the game and it is to run the system. The system is what you work on all week. That's what the line works on. That's what your five eligible's work on. That's everything. And the quarterback, if you want to be great, you better be able to run that system and you better be able to manage the game. But if you want to stay in that position, understand that no system is going to be perfect. There's going to be times where you have no answers. And if you want to stay there, you better make some plays. And that's how you become a consistent quarterback. You're a game manager, you run the system right, and you can make plays. And if you don't have those three things, it's a matter of time. One game, two games, two years, it's a matter of time. But Brock does all three of those things, so I don't, I don't get what we're talking about
2: there you go I don't get what we're talking about and that's a that sounds like exactly what shanno would have told me in in private he'd have said the same thing like that's that sounds like him, and you know I didn't get this from shanno, but I guarantee he agrees mostly game manager is just a it's a a part of the quarterback circle of life, and if you have to be a game manager first, I think, then you become what I like to call a a signal caller where you can. You can kind of make – you can actually check check the line of scrimmage and you can call some of your own plays. That's the, that's the next step, being able to automate the line of scrimmage. That's, that's becoming a signal caller after a game manager. And then I think you become – you know, that's, that's your franchise quarterback after that where he can make just run the whole damn system on his own. I think I run the system. And then from there you become a championship quarterback, hopefully. It's just a, a step in the quarterback circle cycle of life.
1: Well, you and watch. I think you can compare it to a lot of different things, but I think what he, if you watch the Packers win over the pa- – uh, the, the Niners win over the Packers and the Lions – Exactly what he said when the, when the play broke down or the, the initial play wasn't there over and over again in the second half of those games, Brock Purdy made plays. Brock Mm -hmm. Purdy made throws. He bought time, made tough throws down the field. And then, of course, against the Lions, he used his legs and took off and ran for first downs and converted and kept drives alive. That's what he's talking about is, okay, we can only call so many great plays (laughs) that are going to work, you know, and be open. um, you know. And I I
2: think we can – He only brings like 30 into a game. He doesn't bring a lot of plays into a game. He brings like 30 or 40 plays into every game conceptually, and then you can mix and match pieces and parts and formations off of that.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, you compare it to obviously Dak Prescott can be, you know, He he doesn't make enough plays in those moments in the biggest of games. He just doesn't. He's a great system quarterback. He's a you know way above average quarterback. But in the biggest of moments, he doesn't make enough plays, and he actually actually makes negative plays a lot of times in those moments with the interceptions and big spots. And that's been critical to the Cowboys not advancing. Uh, And then you know we also compare it to what we heard from Sark yesterday with Quinn. Yours. Those are the next steps for Quinn.
2: It is next step for Quinn. Quinn, as
1: he said, you know you become the face of our program. You're our quarterback. Uh, don't don't worry about the national narrative of Arch Manning. Quinn, yours is our starting quarterback. He's 22 starts in, and the next step. You know, we saw him. We saw him this year. Okay, if the first read's not there, and don't don't make a bad decision. Take off and run. You know, run and get some yards, which he, he did this year. He did. Uh, but you might want to learn to slide a little better, Quinn. We don't want to be taking Just on linebackers Just a little bit uh, with the injury history. Uh, but then this year's next step will be what we talk about right there. I mean, more progressions through the the route tree, um, more plays made, becoming more of a signal caller, as you said, Rod. Mm -hmm. Check us out of a bad play. Get us into a good play. play. That's the next phase. And when you start seeing Quinn Ewers at start number – you know, 28 and 29 and 30 and up into the mid. Now you've you got a guy that's seen a lot of football yeah. and had to react to a lot of football. That's what the, and that's what the NFL told Quinn when he looked at, into going to the NFL. No, we need to see more. You
2: see more. As they say that you're going to be a future franchise quarterback, we need to see more. And I believe that he will show more this season. I think you will get Quinn having complete mastery over the offense. He's had that much time now. Where I remember getting to the point, I, I asked Tom Herman about this one time, and Tom Herman told me personally, he said, I'm at the point, I think this was Sam Ellinger's like third year. He's like, Sam knows, me, knows my offense better than I know it now. Yeah, he, he, he literally will come up to me during practice or come up to me after practice or before and, and tell me something new about my offense that I didn't realize. That I had to go, oh, that's a good point. Okay, let's, uh, let's think about that a little bit more. That's what you want from Quinn now. Him having such – questioning
1: ma- why are we doing this. Yes. Can we do it better?
2: Yes, such mastery over the offense that he's like, you know, Coach, I think we should run this play. I mean, that's what Patrick, Patrick Mahomes at third and 15 in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. He called the play. Yeah. He said, let's run Wasp. Let's run it. It's going to be open. I guarantee you. We're going we're to get it. Third and 15. They got it. They converted it. That's what you want ultimately from your quarterback in the end. You want them to essentially to embrace the offense to the point where it's their offense. It's not Coach Sark's offense. That is Quinn's offense, and everything has been – tweaked um, and everything has been adjusted so that it can be the most quarterback-friendly offense for Quinn Ewers. And I'm looking forward to seeing what that is this season. There will be adjustments made to make sure that this is a Quinn Ewers Friendly offense, and what does that mean? Yeah, it's the question.
1: It's good stuff right there, yeah. and I think uh, it's another reason why all Texans fans are excited about CJ Stroud because as a rookie, he's already doing that. Like he's it already is. coming over and telling Bobby Slow, "Okay, hey, I'm seeing this. Oh yeah, I think we can run this play." Yep. I mean, CJ Stroud that's way advanced I mean. with that stuff, that's and true. that's why he had a, a you know, that's a great point. Uh, likely the rookie of the year, and, and Texans fans are very excited about where they're going because it, it didn't take him long to start understanding uh, the, the, even the NFL's concepts of what he's seeing. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's keep this rolling. We'll get to some Bullish or BS, including speaking to C.J. Stroud. Tonight's a big night for the young man. We'll tell you why. Uh, also, the other Bullish or BS topics coming your way on a busy Thursday. Uh, we're talking all things Texas football, the Super Bowl with you. Of course, we appreciate Patrick Davis, of course, from the Sports yes, Complex sir. up early this morning producing our show. We're bullish on that for sure because uh, you know he's pulling double duty today with Ty on a vacation, and uh, our man Brock had to attend a funeral this morning, unfortunately, but we appreciate Patrick. So we'll get him involved in Bullish or BS coming next. On Hook Up with Ian Rodby.
4: On the northbound side of I-35, approaching the 290.
1: 290- when you were
3: young and your heart was an open book, you used to say.
1: let die. Great stuff this morning with uh, Patrick Davis. I love that song. Good stuff on uh, Time for Bullish or B.S. there, Rod B. and, ta- and um, Patrick.
2: Bullish or B.S.?
1: Including, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm bullish on the Netflix uh, documentary I watched last night called The Greatest Night in Pop. Nice. I think you'll like it, too. It's a fascinating look of uh, the making of the song We Are the World. And it's recording in 1985. It uh, actually was done overnight after the American Music Awards where they had enough people in Los Angeles to to attend the award show to begin with. And then a lot of uh, unbelievable – Iconic names in pop music and rock music all gathered to, uh, to stay up all night and sing that uh, now iconic song, We Are the World. Very, very interesting. To a point where, Rod, I was texting last night with Colonel Craig Flowers, who is our oh, yeah. expert and everybody's expert in human intelligence. He actually watched it two nights in a row because he was so – Damn. Because he, you know, he's big I on body miss, language. to miss some stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah. He had to go back and watch. Well, the interactions between people. Yeah. And we were talking about the biggest artists in the world at the time who are used to being whatever room they walk into, they're the biggest star – in that room, and then you're in a room with 45 other hmm. stars yeah. and legends, and you know there's a great moment in it when Diana Ross, the great Diana Ross, yeah. actually walks up to, um, uh, it was who did she go? Oh, she went up to D- Daryl Hall from D- Hall and Oaks, oh, yeah. okay and like said, "I love your music. You're my favorite. Will you sign my my music sheet?"
2: That is crazy. Yeah.
1: So Diana Ross is asking Daryl yeah, Hall to cool. sign her mu- his music, and that started like the whole room started doing that. Going around getting autographs from these famous... They became
2: fanboys, basically? And, and one
1: of the things they point out early in the documentary, which is when they started to gather, is that these, all of these stars are used to being surrounded by these mobs mm-hmm. of assistants.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: And they couldn't come in. It was just the artists could go in, so they're kind of they're kind of vulnerable. They're there by themselves. Yeah. They don't have their protection they that they're usually yeah, they don't get. don't have that buffer usually. In between so they them. have to be like real people. Damn.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? That's uh, and most of those I think are introverts. Most of those folks, oh. they're geniuses, but still. Yeah. So
1: it was really cool. It was really cool to have cameras and the interactions and all those stories. And that's what Colonel Flowers was like. Man, I just I had to go back and watch and who's who's yeah. a troublemaker. Who's, I gotta go
2: check that out, man.
1: It was it's really good. Uh, fascinated by it last night. Also tonight, Rod, we don't have to worry about what we're gonna watch this evening because. Because Bullish or BS tonight is the NFL Honors Program. NFL Honors tonight. Red carpet at 7.
2: Are there any, like, um, I don't know, any that we think are going to be a mystery?
1: Well, that's the Bullish or BS it's question. Like we know it's going MVP. Ma- well, right? well, well, they're going to hand out 20 awards tonight. It's starting at 8 o'clock. Red carpet at 7. It'll be on CBS tonight, which, of course, they're broadcasting Super Bowl 58. Mm. Uh, The red carpet. So, tonight they will give out AP, most valuable player. Player,
2: Defensive player of the year. So,
1: AP, most valuable player, likely Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. Dak Prescott is a finalist. That's Uh, big. Big for Dak. AP coach of the year.
2: Oh, that would be an interesting one because Stefanski could end up winning it because of what he did with the Browns. but. D'Amico Ryans, and that, that vote was in before they played in the playoff game, but D'Amico Ryans and the Texans, first rookie head coach uh, quarterback duo to win the division and make the playoffs. And
1: your coach of the year finalists, because they've already announced it based on votes received by the AP vote. Dan Campbell, John Harbaugh, D'Amico Ryans, Kyle Shanahan, and Kevin Stefanski. Um, it's a,
2: I think it's a two-horse race. Hey, you, Dan Campbell's you, got it. He's probably got a – I mean, man – the vote was in before the postseason, though, yes. so that's why you can't – The, the vote was matter. due right
1: at the end of the regular yeah. year, end of week 17. Yeah. So nothing that's happened in January matters except for – well, once the playoffs begin. Yeah, began. so – So Lamar Jackson is going to win it. That's a tough
2: one. The coaching year might be – that, that one might be a little – Well, because
1: actually we said that coming in after the uh, Texans throttled the Browns in that playoff game, that that's going to make it really awkward at the NFL Honors when they hand that award to Kevin Stefansky and D'Amico Ryan's coach circles around that team yeah. <laughs> in the playoff game. Yeah, he did. That was- uh, but, you know, that's the way the regular season award goes uh, – uh, AP Defensive Player of the Year will be interesting with Deron Bland and Micah Parsons finalists for the Cowboys. Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt, also finalists tonight. And you consider that that Cowboys defense with two finalists for the AP Defensive Player of the Year will give up 48 points. That's crazy. In their playoff game to that the Packers.
3: unbelievable.
2: <laughs> I cannot believe that.
1: Also, AP Offensive Player of the Year, Tyreek Kill, Lamar Jackson, C.D. Lamb is up for that, Christian McCaffrey and Dak Prescott. Uh, I got to think that's CMC, right? Offensive player of the year. Yeah.
2: Is Ceedee Lamb up for
1: it? Ceedee Lamb, Tyreek Hill, uh, Lamar Jackson would win MVP. It would have
2: been. It would have been Tyreek if he hadn't. I think he missed a game or something because of injury. and kind of slowed down. It would have been him. But I'm with you. I think it's Christian McCaffrey yeah. right now.
1: Offensive rookie of the year will be announced tonight. Most yeah, assume that's, that's C.J. Easy. Stroud, yeah, but it's a easy. great class with Bijan Robinson, Puka Nakua, Sam Laporta, and Jameer Gibbs.
2: Puka and Puka would have had a case. I mean, he he'd have won it in any other year if not for C.J. Stroud having a, such a ridiculously impressive yeah, rookie Puka, season.
1: Yeah, Puka Nakua, record. As a rookie, and as a and Sam La- Laporta set records too for yeah. tight ends, right? Yeah. For a rookie tight end, he and he and Jameer Gibbs were critical. So you got
2: three record setters in that class. That is a hell of a rookie class.
1: Well, and B. John Robinson would have had more because Arthur Smith ignored him like Tom Herman did his freshman year <laughs> at Texas.
2: <laughs> Arthur Smith's genius plan was to stockpile all of these uniquely gifted athletes and use them as decoys. Yeah, that's right. So I can get the ball to other people. it was like, that's not, fail strategy. We don't like it. Don't like nope. it. Don't like, don't that like
1: it at it. all. No. <laughs> uh, AP, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Will Anderson of the Texans, Jalen Carter Eagles, Joey Porter Jr. Steelers, Kobe Turner of the Rams, and Devon Weatherspoon of the Seattle Seahawks. That'll be a big award tonight. That's tough. I mean Will Anderson had some injuries but had a nice season. Jalen Carter, Eagles, Devon Rutherspoon in Seattle. Be, it
2: should be Witherspoon. Think so? He had a hell of a year. He really did. Um, but it's long as he doesn't get a lot of props because people didn't watch watch them enough, but I mean they probably got more people watching them than the Texans. The Texans when Texans started out, everybody thought they were going to be a disaster. So, nobody was watching Texans except for us paying attention. So, I don't know if Will Anderson and – remember, Will Anderson missed a couple of games, too. He did. That, that hurts him, too. I don't know, yeah. I'm not sure if Weatherspoon missed some games or not.
1: And the comeback player of the year will also be handed out tonight at the NFL Honors uh, with Joe Flacco. Damar Hamlin, of course, is the front runner. Baker Mayfield, uh, Lake Travis, is on up for that award tonight. Matthew Stafford and Tua. So, it'll be a big night, and they'll do the whole red carpet thing. Uh, they'll also do the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. They'll have the Tear Jerkers mm-hmm. with the Inspire Change tributes. Yeah, that's and right. All kinds of good stuff. That's tonight. That is uh this evening at eight o'clock.
2: Uh, there you go. So
1: uh, we'll have all that to talk about tomorrow of uh, who who wins these awards, where are the controversies. If any, that's tonight with NFL honors. Bullish on that.
2: Uh yeah, I don't like I said, I don't know if there'll be too many surprises, but uh like even when there are surprises like the coach of the year, you talked about um I think CJ's going to win Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, even Defensive Player of the Year. It, it's hard to say any you know, of those guys is less or more deserving when they get really tight. Like Kevin Stefanski could win it, and he has a great case. Um, and so does D'Amico Ryan, so, and so does Dan Campbell. So I wouldn't be, I don't know, too upset about a shock or a surprise with one of those picks. Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, okay, B- bullish or BS? We ain't talked about it enough, but I want to give it just a little more time. Give it to me, Nick Saban. Um, as the as a new analyst for ESPN. Yep. Um, working primarily as the uh, analyst on the set of College Game Day, but also they say he's going to be an NFL draft analyst for him, and he's going to be part of their SEC media days coverage. We bullish or BS on this? On Nick Saban as the one of the lead analysts, I guess, for ESPN.
1: Uh, I'm bullish. I mean, I thought it would happen when it, I mean, the one the thing I was a little bit surprised by is that Lee Corso is going to stay. Uh, yes, at least ESPN announced yesterday it'll be a six-man table. That's next. a
2: lot of people.
1: I know it, it, how Maybe long too many people uh, because you know they want to do right by Lee Corso, but at this point, I think they're doing wrong by Lee Corso for bringing him out there. He's just he's in, been in failing health, and he's uh, I, I thought just the immediate thought was ESPN is going to replace Nick Saban, Lee Corso with Nick Saban and that Lee Corso would be honored and said thanks for all your yeah. years and years and decades of ambassadorship for college football. But, you know, Nick Saban's the GOAT, and he's the perfect replacement. And there could even be like a handoff to start the year. Yeah,
2: the Nick Saban thing, listen, Corso and Nick Saban are very different, though. 100%. They're, they're totally different in the way they're going to approach that gig as an analyst. So Nick Saban, to me, is not the Corso replacement. Actually, I think Pat McAfee may be more the – Course, but you need somebody who's going to wild out. He's put the, head, the, the you know, put the mascot heads on and do crazy stuff. Nick Saban ain't doing none of that. They ain't Nick Saban doing. So you got somebody who's going to do all, who can live up to the on the antics and a lot of the uh, kind of improvisation that you would have when Lee Corso was there. That was Lee Corso's brilliance. Is that I don't know what he's going to do. Putting the head on gets the crowd hype. Nick Saban ain't doing that. So I think I don't know. I'm with you. Maybe they haven't truly found the replacement yet for Lee Corso. Maybe they never will. Well, I think uh, Pat McAfee does more of that stuff, getting the crowd hype and stuff, than, than Saban would do. Go ahead, no, Patrick.
4: And I'll add, I'll add in, I, I don't think that's the final lineup for College Game Day, because all reports are that Pat McAfee's not going to be back on College Game Day. Like, right. that that he went back to the WWE, he's doing announcing there again, that that's because he's going back and that means he's going to leave College Game Day. So I think they just didn't want to announce when they hired Nick Saban that they may be mm. changing the lineup. So all that still is subject to change because we still got a few months before that comes back around. But my guess would be they don't want to make an announcement and then leave out Lee Corso and everybody goes, oh, you announced Nick Saban and then also told us Lee Corso's gone without telling us Lee Corso's gone.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, that's a good point. They don't have yeah. to make it official right there. It was just a press release, and uh, Nick Saban will also do work on the NFL draft, of course, and uh, NSEC games, SEC Man. Network.
2: Man, ESPN and Pat McAfee, it seems like he's been a rocky little marriage so far. Well, and I thought – Start you know, to it anyway. Well,
1: look, I know I'm not – Call the, out executives. I have nothing against McAfee. I think he brings a lot of young audience, which oh, I think yeah. is what they were looking for, especially college campuses like that. Uh, I do like his Friday coverage when when, when game day is going to be there on Saturday. McAfee was he doing sets his show there. already yeah. And I thought there was always some breaking news going on. And, uh, that's, where, that's where Lou Holtz you know, called uh, Ryan Day and Ohio State soft. Remember mm-hmm. on that Friday coverage yeah. before their game? Right. And then Ryan Day reacted to it after the game. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff right there. That's, that's, that's the kind of yeah. drama you're looking for. No, Pat- like, I like wrestling.
2: Yeah, no, no, Patrick makes a good point there. First of all, it's a ton of exposure and money in wrestling, too. It's just, uh, people have no idea how good the ratings are for, for wrestling. It always has been. Wrestling's
1: not going to Netflix.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's but, a, that's, you know what? That's a brilliant move for Netflix, by the way. It
1: is. They're looking that's for some live content and live yeah. sports, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, well, like All these streaming services are looking for live sports because that's, where the, what's that's, where, the, that's where the eyeballs are. That's where the eyeballs are in real time. Hey, Patrick, real quick on bullish or BS and great stuff there. Do you have uh, any thoughts? Are you are you, calling, are you bullish on a big trade getting done before the deadline at 2 o'clock today in the NBA or are calling BS on that?
4: I, so I'm not, I don't know of a big trade. I think an important trade for the Mavs could happen. I do, want, I do have a little bit of audio from Greg Popovich last night when he was asked if we should watch out for a big trade from the Spurs and uh, his post-game press conference. And uh, he seemed very excited about it.
3: Yeah, I, think, I don't think you should sleep at all. I think you should keep your phone by your pillow. Uh, don't have any liquor or
4: anything like that tonight because you might stay asleep. Uh, be ready, because there's some amazing stuff going on.
3: <laughs>
4: that small bitch last night in his post-game press conference that's when good. he was asked if uh, if there was going to be any big trades in the Spurs. So I wouldn't imagine any big ones from the Spurs. The Rockets already made that trade for Steven Adams, but that's for next year. Uh, but I think the Mavs could make a pick. You got that you're in the same situation as the Bucks are where – You know, you have a superstar that you know could exit at any point if you don't keep trying to keep them happy. Uh, They seem to be still at least a piece away, if not two. Uh, So they may try and add some help to help in that bottom. And, you know, too many points in the paint, not enough rebounding and defense. Luka had, what, 18 rebounds the other night? Might want to get a big man in there.
1: Agreed, some size. Without a doubt, the, the rookie uh, has kind of faded, and uh, they need more. They're going to uh, be any kind of factor in the Western Conference. All right, uh, good stuff, Patrick, and uh, NFL Honors tonight. We've got the NBA trade deadline at 2 o'clock today, and we'll talk more about it. And A uh, lot of messages coming in on the greatest night in pop, and uh, somebody said, yes, that do- documentary was great. I give it four or five stars, but uh, I still need the question answered, why in the hell was Dan Aykroyd there?
2: When I say, some of these people have done them alone. I don't know how they They have great agents and a great publicist. They got in on the "We Are the World"
1: yeah. phenomenon. Well, I will say, on our, our way to the top of the hour here. Dan Aykroyd was one of the bigger stars in the world at the time. He Ghostbusters and Blues Brothers and Saturday Night Live and if you go back to the beginning of the genesis of the idea it was let's get the biggest stars in the world together to help feed starving kids in, but in it was africa but it's a single song i know well but, but that's just the chorus <laughs> like they had the big group then the back in the chorus they yeah. didn't have any like like they they wanted as many people like bob bob geldof The producer was back there singing. They just wanted a big wall of voices as we are the world. And so Dan Aykroyd got his way in there and, you know, he was Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) He was Dan Aykroyd. Somebody else mentioned, because you asked about Janet. Somebody uh, mentioned you asked about Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson was just a teenager at the time. So Mm -hmm. she she was still known as Michael's little sister. And LaToya was a bigger star at the time. Yeah, Janet Jackson
4: had uh, two records out, but her first number one single was 1986. Okay, yeah.
2: there you go so she was there, she was there, she was already recording, but I, I was, I, you had to listen to Latoya and Janet sing one song and know that Janet was more talented than oh, sure. latoya yeah so I, what was a, what was a hit that Latoya had that 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 got her on the real The world well not, but soundtrack. again,
1: the whole premise you got to watch it it wasn 't about the best singing voice, it was about the most people we could get, the biggest names to, to get the most awareness out to you know have the most voices calling for help is really what that was about.
4: She, she was drove Jack- Michael, Rod. She drove Michael. Exactly.
2: I'm like, you could have got the Jackson five. Hell, what about those? Jermaine and Tito and those are, they, were, they were more well known than LaToya was. Yeah. Nobody knew who Latoya was back then either. Well, I, I, I <laughs>
1: really I, they were trying to get big names, big pop stars. Then why not for Jackson five? Well, with Michael Jackson, yeah. Well, you gotta watch it, then you may be the answer for it. You. <laughs> you know
2: what I mean? I got
1: it.: uh, Well, because Michael was the driver of it, and one of the drivers of it, he could have certainly I invited his brothers to be there. Yeah, probably, uh, probably something
2: going on between him and his brothers, honestly. Yeah. All right, we'll
1: Whatever. pick it up on the other side. That show is on Netflix, by the way. The NFL Honors is tonight. <laughs> uh, we roll forward. Hook him up with Ian Rodby.